Just a couple other announcements uh, before I get started. Um, on September the 21st, Butterfly Bridge is hosting some uh, foster parent classes, uh, and they are in need of three to four volunteers for childcare. I know some of our ladies are already um, uh, preparing food for that evening, if I'm not mistaken. Um, we just need three or four volunteers to help with childcare that night. So if you are available, uh, would you speak to uh, my wife, Rebecca? Uh, she's the short lady with the short arms trying to wave for everybody in the room down here. Um, I'm also looking forward to uh, beginning our Discover Grace class tonight. Uh, so if you uh, are a part of that class, that's the class that we, uh, we put on uh, so people can learn more about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow, uh, what it means to be a part of his church. Uh, we will get started tonight uh, at 5 o'clock uh, back in our fellowship hall building. And so you can actually park over here on this side uh, and just come through the door uh, up there, we'll have a sign out on the sidewalk uh, for you. We'll have some, some light refreshments. We'll go from 5 to 6.30. So uh, let's uh, give our attention to God's Word. We're working our way through Matthew's Gospel. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to look at, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. What Jesus is doing in this section is he's describing our relationships. Uh, and so uh, I began last week, we, 1 through 12 kind of form one unit. Last week was part 1, where we talked about our human relationships. And what Jesus told us is that uh, humility and discernment should mark how we relate to one another. Uh, we need humility so that we will see our own sins and faults before we aim to correct others. And we also need discernment. Because sometimes uh, we will run into uh, people who do not want our help. And Jesus says that there is a time, in verse 6, to walk away. Now that doesn't mean that we ghost people or cancel people simply because they disagree with us. Jesus is talking about sharing the good news. And he's talking about people who uh, repeatedly reject the offer. And Jesus says that there comes a time when we need to move on. The question is, how do we come by that kind of humility? Where do we get that kind of discernment? And the answer is, because it doesn't come naturally from us, the answer is on our knees before God. And so that's where Jesus turns next. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. If you're using the uh, church Bible, it should be on page 812, 813. Let's give our attention to God's word. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. 
For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, would you cause your word to come with power to our hearts so that we would be transformed from the inside out? Would you help us not simply to be hearers of your word, but doers also? And we pray it in the matchless name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Dallas Willard was a professor and theologian. Uh, And he gave the following definition for the word disciple. What is a disciple? That word you may have heard before. The Bible uses that word. Uh, That's what we aim to do here at Grace Fellowship is make disciples. That was Jesus' parting command to his earliest followers. But when you hear that word, what, what does it mean? What is a disciple? And I love the way that uh, Willard puts it. He says, a disciple is someone who by grace and by choice is learning how to live from Jesus. And it's that that last part. Oftentimes we think about conversion, we think about being saved, but I don't just need to be converted. I don't just need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to be taught how to live. I need to be taught what it means to be human. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. It's what he's doing in the whole, this whole section of Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. He's, he's showing us what it looks like, how to live. He's teaching us how to live. Particularly in this section, he's talking about how we relate to God And then how we relate to others. How do we do that? Here's how Jesus answers that question. How do we relate to God? First, we expect good from him. And then how do we relate to others? We do good to them. So we expect good from God and we do good to others. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. What does it look like to expect good from God? There are two words that I want you to kind of get stuck in your head about this section. One is persistence, and the other is trust. Jesus wants us to do both. That's how we relate to God, particularly in prayer, persistence and trust. First, Jesus tells us to be persistent in seeking God. Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. These are present, active verbs. And so, really, you could translate them, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's not a one and done. It's a persistent, continual pattern. We are to keep seeking God persistently. Why? Jesus says, because everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. I imagine every parent in the room 
has had this experience, particularly with young children, that if they want something, they will wear you down. If you are not in the room with them, they will either come and find you or they will very loudly seek for you. But they will do so persistently. And we have something to learn from them. And maybe that's how you feel when you read what Jesus says here. It sounds a little improper, a little childish, maybe. After all, doesn't the Bible teach that God helps those who help themselves? No, it doesn't. That's Ben Franklin. And he got it from somebody else. That's not in the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Ephesians 2, 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We are children. We are dependent. In fact, the reason we struggle, one of the reasons we struggle with what Jesus says is because we think, especially the older we get, we think that we are self-sufficient. So I want to tell you right now, God is not glorified in my pride or self-sufficiency. In fact, self-sufficiency is the enemy of the gospel. It is the enemy of holiness. It is the opposite. In fact, you know, here, here's how many of us, what, what is self-sufficiency? This is how many of us treat God. I got this. I'll call you if I need you. And God says, you need me. Call me. That's what Jesus is telling us to do here. As much as we love independence, we are made to be dependent on God. So Jesus says, be persistent in seeking your father. But we also struggle in the other direction, don't we? We ask the question, is prayer worthwhile? Does it do any good? And to this, Jesus says that second word, trust. Trust your father's character. Why should I keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking? Because Jesus says, your father in heaven is good. And he knows how to give good gifts. Look at verse 11. If you then who are evil, notice that Jesus assumes that you and I are evil. 
That doesn't mean that I'm as bad as I could possibly be. It doesn't mean that I torture cats for fun. But I am evil. And Jesus says, if you're evil and you know how to give good gifts, you evil man, like, hopefully, even though I'm evil, I know that if my son asks for something to eat, I won't give him something that harms him. If he asks for bread, I'm not going to give him a rock that will break his teeth. If he asks for a fish, I'm not going to give him a snake that will bite him. So if I'm evil and I know how to give good gifts, how much more will my heavenly Father, who is infinitely good and infinitely gracious, give good things to me when I ask? That sounds good on paper, doesn't it? But what about in reality? What if you're sick? Or someone you love is sick. And they're not getting any better. You've tried and tried and tried to have children. But your body just won't work the way that it's supposed to. You really wanted that relationship to be restored. You wanted things to work out. But it's just not. It only seems to get worse. And to be honest, you're kind of weary of asking. Your knuckles hurt from all the knocking. What then? I would say that even then, especially then, more than at any other time, that is when we must fall on the goodness of God. We must trust that he is a good father. Do children always know what's best for them when they ask? The answer to that, by the way, is no. In fact, if you give your children whatever they ask for, whenever they ask for it, it actually ruins them, doesn't it? As a parent or a teacher or a mentor, you know... That when Johnny asks for cotton candy at 8 in the morning, Johnny doesn't really need cotton candy at 8 in the morning. It might taste good, but it will be harmful to him. And not just to his teeth. You know how he'll act as it, when, when he comes off that sugar high. Right? So we know, even when our children don't, what's good or We should. My point is this. I may think when I'm down on my knees, pounding the ground, crying out to God to answer my prayer. I've been there, friend. I may think that I'm asking for a fish. But my father knows that it's a snake and he won't give it to me. He knows what is good, even when we don't. The Bible has so much more to say about unanswered prayer and the way that we pray. But for right now, we're, just, we're here with the words of Jesus. God will not give us what is not good for us to have. 
And I know that can be a hard pill to swallow. I want you to remember Job. Job, upon receiving word that all of his children were gone, were dead, said this, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But even more than Job, I want you to remember Jesus on his knees, weeping, crying out to his father in the garden, asking God, as those who would arrest him approach, as he considers the next day and stands over the abyss, looking down into God's wrath for my sin and your sin being poured out on him, pleading with God, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Three times Jesus prayed that. And three times he finished by saying, Yet not my will, but yours be done. Friend, your road may be incredibly dark and difficult. You may think that it is impossible. And it may seem like your prayers are going nowhere. So I want you to remember, not if that happens to you, but when that happens to you, that Jesus has walked that road. He has faced a far darker night than you or I will ever face. And he came out on the other side so that we can believe that every prayer we give to the Father is heard and answered. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes wait. But we can trust our Father's goodness because he did not spare his only son for us. Samuel Radagast uh, was a German pastor in the late 1600s. He wrote a, a wonderful hymn titled, Whatever or What Air My God Ordains is Right. I encourage you to, to look it up uh, and meditate on it. It's wonderful, but here's what he says in the last verse. Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, Yet I am not forsaken. My father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him, I leave it all. That's what Jesus is encouraging us with here to be persistent in expecting good from God. And people who receive good from God are then those who can turn and do good to others. Let's look at verse 12. Jesus says, so, therefore, this is really, you could see this as a summary of just about everything Jesus has said in the sermon up to this point. He's going to begin wrapping it up in the next sections. But he says, therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law. And the prophets. Jesus is so bold 
as to summarize the entire Old Testament in one principle, one rule. We call it, uh, often call it the golden rule. And some version can be found of it in most religions. But usually, in other places, by other teachers, it's framed negatively. Something like, don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you. That's how I often frame it to my kids. If you wouldn't want him to do that to you, then don't do that to him. But Jesus states it positively. He says, whatever. What sort of things are covered in whatever? Everything. Whatever you wish someone would do for you, go ahead and do that for them. In other words, Jesus' followers are to take the initiative in doing good to others rather than waiting for others to do good to them. You do good first, Jesus says. Now, I want you to think about how that changes all of your interactions with people. People in your home, people in your workplace, right? People where you play. What are, what are the common rules we use? Here's some of them, right? Get even. You shamed me, so I'm going to shame you. You insulted me, I'm going to insult you. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. There's that one. We like that one. Uh, strike first. I'll hurt you before you can hurt me. Uh, then there's, there's get mine. Right? If you don't get in my way, I won't get in yours. Or another way to put it, leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. Those are our rules of engagement. Those are our normal rules. But that's not the rule for kingdom people. That's not for those people who are learning how to live from Jesus. Which means that when we practice them, we're not practicing the life that Jesus taught us to live. Listen to what English pastor J.C. Ryle says. We are not to deal with others as others deal with us. That is mere selfishness and heathenism. What's heathenism? Heathen, people who don't know God. So you claim to know God... That's not how you're to live. Rob goes on. We are to deal with others as we would like others to deal with us. This is real Christianity. This is a golden rule indeed. It does not merely forbid all petty malice and revenge, all cheating and overreaching. It does so much more. It settles a hundred difficult points which in a world like this are continually arising between man and man. Just think about this week applying this rule to all of your interactions. Doing good first. Which, of course, leads us to the gospel. Do you see the connection between these two points? Receiving good from God and giving good to others? You see, apart from grace... The golden rule makes absolutely no sense. If we have not received grace from God, then what makes sense in our world is treating other people the way they've treated you. 
Y'all, we practice all of those normal rules of engagement because that's what comes naturally to us. In fact, it's what makes the most sense in our world. To do otherwise is either foolish or dangerous. Except for grace. If there's grace, if it's true that God has sent his son to die for people who don't deserve it, if God has done good to you when you didn't deserve it, do you know what that does to you? It frees you. It frees you up. That means I don't have to be defensive anymore. If you insult me, what the gospel tells me is like, man, you don't even know the half of it. It means that if I have received all of God's riches in Jesus, there's nothing that you can take away from me that really matters. So I don't have to be defensive and I don't have to be offensive. I'm free. I'm free to do good to you because God has done the ultimate good to me. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Would you help us to be persistent in seeking you? And expecting good from you, or even when it is difficult, would you help us to trust you? And Lord, I pray that we would be a people known for doing good to others, especially when they have not done good to us. Would you be glorified in the meditations of our hearts, in the words of our mouths? and in the actions of our hands. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and respond to God's word together.